0: Amen. Amen. Good morning, church family. I'm Pastor Janine Smith, and I oversee our adult ministries department. And before I dive into the sermon, I want to give you two announcements. One is our college and young adult ministry has been meeting the last few months outside for outdoor worship in a socially distant way. And if that's your stage of life, I don't want you to miss out. It's coming this Friday, and you can find out more by going into our Lake Avenue website and typing into the search bar the keyword anchored. The other announcement I want to give you is I appreciate greatly our military, I appreciate our police our fire personnel, and our medical personnel. <clears throat> these are the types of people that run towards danger, to serve, to protect, to heal. And this year on Veterans Day, this year for Veterans Day, our Veterans Ministry is doing an event. It'll be Zoom-based, but the Saturday before they want to meet for camaraderie and, to appre- and for appreciation. So if that's you, again, go to our website, into the search bar, and type the keyword Veterans Day. And if you don't know, a keyword is one word. So you need to take Veterans and Day and squish it together. So for our sermon, today we're looking at 13 verses. And in those 13 verses, the word faith comes up 11 times. James is all about faith, 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 as he says. And what he does in this passage is he tells us what faith accomplishes, what it accomplishes in us and what it accomplishes through us. But what James doesn't do in this passage is tell us what our faith is in. And that's so important. So before I dive into the scripture, I want to make sure you know what our faith is in. So when we look at many religions, what we see is it's about what we do in order to connect with a higher power, in order to move on into the next life, to be reincarnated, it's about what we do. And they tell you how to eat, what to wear, what to read, how to pray, what to sing, what, how much to give. It's all about what you do. And even as Christians, sometimes we can get a little confused and think it is about what we do or what we don't do. But that's a confusion. Deep at the root, down at the core, what we're anchored in is not what we do, but what's been done. And not what's been done by us, but what has already been done through God through Jesus Christ. So God loved us so much. And even though we've made mistakes, many daily mistakes, gossip, anger, slander, lying, cheating, the the list goes on and on. I'm part of it on a daily basis, the pride. Even though we make mistakes, God loves us so much that God wants to be with us. And if you took this whole scripture and said, boil it down, God with us is what this scripture is saying. That God wants to be with us so much that God came to earth as the person of Jesus Christ. And then God lived a perfect, holy life, a life filled with love, A life bringing healing to others. That's how Jesus lived. And then Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross. And because he lived that perfect life, when he died, he didn't suffer the the consequences of all the sin that we have where death is final and there's no more being with God after death. No, Jesus conquered death. But God didn't do that just so that Jesus could conquer death. But so that us, as we bind ourselves to Jesus, that we receive the benefits as well. As we believe in what Jesus did in conquering death, we too have life after death. Eternal life, life with God. But what was done by God wasn't just so in some future time we can have a relationship with God. No, God wants to be with us right now. And so there are two gifts that God gives us as we step in faith in Jesus Christ. So the first gift we get is the spirit of the living God living in us. And that's a game changer. When God comes to live in us, we get God as a comfort in hard times. We get God as a guide to know what to do. We get God as correcting us when we go off track. All of that comes to us, and it shapes what we do. The other gift that we get from God is spiritual gifts. And those aren't just gifts just for any old reason. No, when we say we are followers of Jesus, we follow Jesus. We take the steps that he takes. It says we walk the way he walked. We have the priorities that he had. We do the methods that he had. We say the words that he said. We follow Jesus. And that means we join Jesus in mission in our world and the gifts that God gives us the spiritual gifts are to join him in mission and that church family is the good news that God with us right now until the end of eternity and we get to join him on mission amen amen that is our good news as we go forward At the end of this sermon, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of commitment. Not only to make Jesus your Savior, but to follow him in obedience as your Lord. And whether this is your first time or you're recommitting, this is important. This, nothing else matters more than this. And I'm going to go with our scripture. So if you have James 2... Open up, and you can stand if you're able. We're going to start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. No, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called god's friend you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do not by faith alone in the same way was not even rahab the prostitute considered righteous For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So James dives right in with three rhetorical questions. The first one, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Is it any good for that other person? So you see in the third question, James proposes a scenario where someone doesn't have the right clothes and they don't have food. They are in real need. And we know we've got a lot of people right now in that very need. There are real financial struggles and stresses that people have right now. Emotional stress that people have in the pandemic. Uh, This is real. We can go by people with real need. And what good is it to say, hey, I hope you're doing okay, and then move along. Or I'll pray for you, but that's about it. See, these rhetorical questions, we're supposed to know the answer. What good is it to the other person to go right on by them? It's no good. And in fact, I'll charge, it's worse than neutral. It's worse than saying, I don't have time, but maybe the next person does. I don't have money, but maybe the next person does. Because when we say we're a follower of Jesus, and then we don't help someone in need, that reflects on our faith. That hurts our witness. That hurts the ability of God to woo that person. It is a serious offense to our evangelistic abilities when we walk on by. So it does them worse than zero to do that. But then the next question, well, and when we have that, so what I'm seeing here is a question, uh, equation. We're going to look at a series of equations. And this first one is faith plus nothing equals a dead faith. And I put quotation marks up there because James isn't talking about real faith when it has nothing behind it. And that's what the quotation marks are. It's not real. And what I think about when I think of this is like a cell phone. If I have my cell phone, I expect it to do stuff for me. My cell phone helps me capture special moments. My cell phone helps me navigate around this, this area. My cell phone keeps me informed so that I know what I need to do. But if the battery's not charged and it won't charge, that cell phone's like a chunk of metal to me. It's no good. I might as well give it to a toddler to pretend they're playing with a cell phone. No, our faith, is supposed to do something, just like that cell phone's supposed to do something. Our faith, when we get Jesus, the Spirit of God living in us, tells us what things to ca- capture, how to guide us, how, what we need to be informed by in order to move and make decisions. It's supposed to be alive, not dead. So the next part of the scripture, when we look down at verse 18, someone's t- it's a rhetorical back and forth. James is an imagining an opponent um, having a conversation. Maybe he's had these conversations with other followers. And th- so he's recording them for us. And it says, someone says, you have faith, I have deeds. As if there's a choice, you can choose this way, To connect with God or this way. This way to get to heaven by faith or this way to get to heaven by deeds. But James says no. And then we take a look. So if it's faith alone, if you're on the side saying all I need is faith. James goes ahead and he says to them in verse 19. You believe there's one God. And what he's saying when he says, you believe there's one God, he's speaking to Jewish people who the hallmark of their faith is one God. Surrounded in a culture and time when there were many polytheistic religions where there's multiple gods and you can go to this God for this and that God for that and you can kind of choose your own adventure with gods. No, there is one God and the Jews believe that and it was so central to their faith. They had a prayer that they said every morning and evening, even now, the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They said it all the time. So James says to you, these Jewish believers that he's writing to, you believe that there is one God, good. There's nothing wrong with that. That is accurate. You have an accurate intellectual understanding of what you're supposed to believe. Good, but then the next part, even the demons believe that. So belief, accurate belief, that's not enough. And that's an indictment on us. So the next equation is our intellectual belief alone, Equals the faith of the demons. And James goes on in verse 21. Equals a useless faith. Guys, when when I read this passage, that was a big indictment. The faith of the demons. Just to have intellectual belief. It's not going to go. It's not going to save you. It's not enough. And in here I think of a bridge. I'm thinking of a specific type of bridge. The kind on cables. So if you're going on a hike... Maybe think, I know there's this type of bridge at Forest Home Christian Camp and many of us have been there at different times in our faith journey. There's a cable bridge and you get on it And it's secure. Those cables can hold thousands and thousands of pounds. They're made to be secure. But the bridge also moves and wobbles. And a lot of kids love to run on that bridge and jump up and down and feel the whole thing shake. It's a playful thing for them. But there's always some that stand there and look at that bridge and go, I know that bridge is secure. I know it holds me. I can see it's holding my friends. I believe in the bridge. But there is no way you're getting me out on there. Because I don't actually trust the bridge. I'm not willing to step out and put two feet and my full weight and stand on that bridge and trust that it has me. And that's what faith is supposed to be like with Jesus. Jesus is the bridge from one side of brokenness to the other side of a life with God. Jesus is the bridge. But if you just say, yeah, I see that bridge, but you don't step out in faith and put your full weight on it and trust Jesus, following obedience to Jesus, then that's not a real faith. It does you no good. It's useless. So what about deeds alone? And this is really important. Deeds alone. If you look at the end in verse 26, it says, faith without deeds is dead. That's James, one of the, probably the line in scripture that James, the brother of Jesus, is most known for. Faith without deeds is dead. And a lot of people like that phrase. But a lot of people also like a phrase Paul said. Paul is an author of many of the letters in the New Testament. And we've got James on one side, people will say, and Paul on the other. James, the brother of Jesus, a Jew writing to Jews is writing to an inside crowd saying hey look you've already got faith but it gotta, it's got it's got to be flushed out in your deeds that's his point point. and so he says faith without deeds is dead but let's take a look in ephesians 2 8 and 9 we've got paul and he says something kind of different at first blush when you read it for it is by grace You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. A gift of God, guys. Not by works, not by deeds, so that no one can boast. And so many will say, ah, James likes the deeds and Paul likes the faith. And you can kind of pick and choose. Uh Uh-uh. They're both in this scripture, both of them here for a purpose. Those getting together with God under God's direction that put this scripture together chose to have Paul and James in this scripture. We need both. And the reason why we need both is because they represent different perspectives. Paul is reaching out to people that don't know Jesus at all. They are Gentiles. They don't know any better. And he's bringing them in. And the first thing they need to know is I don't need to do anything. It's already been done by Jesus Christ. That's they're coming from different perspectives, but they serve the same God. They have the same goal, everyone, life of faith, marching towards God. But they're coming from different perspectives. And I think that's really important to say right now in our world, in our church, in our voting, we often want it to be this side or that side. Draw a line, choose the side and you don't need the other side no matter what. But now it's just like James and Paul. We need both sides to get a fuller picture to solve our real problems. And Paul knew that too. Look how Paul says in the very next verse, often forgotten, verse 10 comes right after 8 and 9. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God pref- prepared for us in advance to do. That's right. We, Paul knew it too. It's the same good news that when we step out and trust and follow Jesus, we get the spirit of the living God living in us, and it changes and transforms everything about how we live. So back to James. We're going for a transforming faith now, one that, one that saves and if you think back to last week, we had Pastor Chuck uh, preaching on us earlier in chapter two. And it mentions in verse eight, the royal law. And I think that James, when he was writing, had the royal law in his mind. The two great commandments. One, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And two, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we're doing those actions those are the ones that we know our faith is working and as james says <clears throat> you show me your faith without your deeds i'll show you my faith by my deeds he's not saying that you that deeds are what saves you but he's saying for all of us if you want to know if you have faith it flushes itself out in deeds <clears throat> So I want to give you two for the love the Lord, your love, your neighbor as yourself. I want to give you two ways that you can meet people's practical needs. You you probably can meet people's practical needs if you just walk outside the door and pay attention. But if you need some advice, I've got two that are really important right now. One. Our church is encouraging people to participate in a blood drive to give to our local community hospital. You can go again to our church website, type in the word, the keyword blood drive, all one phrase, and it will get you there, give you the information. And I can't think of anything more like Jesus than to give our blood and how it will help anyone. The other one is our adults with disabilities are at a real disadvantage right now. They, uh, many of them have pre-existing conditions, which means it's not safe for them to gather with others, but they also don't have access to technology. And so live streaming, YouTube, uh, Zoom app opportunities often leave them out. So they are really isolated. What they need is a phone call every few weeks, someone saying, hey, I remember when you would come and lead us in worship. They used to lead us in worship twice a year. I remember that. And I just wanted to say, how are you doing? And so uh, if you are interested in being part of our care ministries, again, go to our website, go to the search bar. This one isn't a keyword because it's not an event. It's an ongoing thing Type in care ministries and tell pastor Roger you want to be linked with an adult with disabilities so those are two key ways you can meet people with their practical needs but what about how do we love God with all our heart mind soul and strength how do we love God above all else and James addresses that by giving us two examples Abraham and Rahab and I think he James was really astute in choosing those two examples. On one hand, you've got Abraham, a male, and Rahab, a female. It's a subtle nod, I think, to saying both men and women are in the family of God. You've got Abraham, a Jew, and you've got Rahab, a non-Jew. Again, a subtle nod that people of all nationalities and all races are welcomed in to the family, welcomed into faith. And then you've got Abraham, who is this great pillar of faith. He's, he is like the chief guy. There's no one more important in the Old Testament other than God than Abraham compared to Rahab, who was a prostitute. And here's what, he, what James is saying is that it doesn't matter what type of life you've lived before. We all have an opportunity for faith in the family of God. So with Abraham, he brings up this example of Abraham willing to follow God and obey and sacrifice his son. But if you back up, you start with Genesis 15, it says Abraham met God. God promised him that he would have thousands of children that he would have uh, when he had none. And Abraham believed him. And it says right then in Genesis 15, it's credited to him as righteousness. So his faith started back when all he had to do was believe. But jumping forward to Genesis 22, that's when God said, I want you to be willing to sacrifice your son. And in the end, he didn't have to. But the point was that he was willing. And then that's when all of us got to see the true test of his faith. And so in James 22, you, you see that he talks about Abraham and says, his faith, Abraham's faith and actions were working together. And that's what we need. So, and you can see this too in Hebrews 11, a great chapter in scripture where it says by faith, and then it lists all these great pillars of the faith in the Old Testament. But it it says by faith, Noah built an ark. See, we see someone's faith by what they do, and we don't really know without doing. And we can't, we shouldn't be judging other people by what they do, but we can judge ourselves. What am I doing? That's how I really see how my faith is played out. So Abraham, by faith, obeyed. And Rahab, by faith, welcomed in enemies. Welcomed in those she didn't even know. And she took care of them and protected them. By faith, she did that. And so what we see in Abraham and in Rahab is two great temptations that we often are tempted to put above loving God. The first one, Abraham was not, uh, didn't put family above God. And this one's a temptation of my own. I'm tempted to put family above loving God. It r- really, it, it is probably the great struggle of my life. I love my kids and I can work and advocate for them and miss God's call to advocate for others. I can go and vote and think of what's best for my family and not thinking about what's best for other families. I can give money to my extended family uh, rather than thinking about other ways that God would call me to give my money. It's easy to put family above god we can say god first then family but in reality in the ways that we live sometimes i know i'm tempted to put family first and i have to repent of that and likewise with rahab what she did was she did not put country above god she put god first In America, there are blurred lines as we've begun to refer to ourselves as a Christian nation, but we've lost sight. As Christian people, are we perfect? No. Do we need to be challenged? Do we need to repent? Do we need to change our ways? Yes. That can happen to a Christian nation too. Our country's not infallible and neither are our leaders. And we can't put that above God. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven, citizens of God and God's kingdom. That must come first. So a transforming faith isn't about nice deeds, really, at all. What you see here is Abraham and Rahab They didn't do nice deeds. You wouldn't have called those nice deeds. In fact, the world would call those ridiculous deeds. Ridiculous to put God above family. Ridiculous to put God above country. Ridiculous to help a random stranger and give them your time and your money and your physical effort and risk your safety, risk your comfort. That's ridiculous, the world would say. But that's the type of faith we're called to. A ridiculous transforming faith. But you know what else is ridiculous? Not being obedient to the God of the universe who knows everything, who has all power, who knows you and all your mistakes and loves you. That wants your good. Look at when Abraham obeyed, it worked to his benefit. When Rahab obeyed and did this ridiculous thing, it worked to her benefit. In the story that Jesus tells of the good Samaritan to help us understand what it means to love our neighbor. It worked good both for the person on the side of the road that needed to be helped and for the Samaritan. When we follow God, it looks ridiculous sometimes. But in the end... It is good. So that's the faith that we inherit. And I want to pray for you now. To have an opportunity to pray with me to receive this type of faith that will change and transform your whole life. And if you're making a first time faith commitment or if you're making a renewed faith commitment... I want you to have people praying for you. And so I want you to contact the prayer ministry. And you can contact the prayer ministry anytime you want people to pray for you. We have dozens of people that pray through our prayer ministry. You can see the email. You can see the phone number there. I want you to save it and use it. But especially today, if you're making a commitment, reach out to them and say, will you pray for me? And if you want them to contact you back and coach you through your next steps, let them know. So join me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, hear us. We long to have you with us just as we have heard and know that you long to be with us. We know we've made so many mistakes and we desire to turn and repent from them. We thank you, Jesus, that you died to set us right and free. That you make the bridge for us to forever be with God now and forever. We trust you, Jesus. We thank you that you are our Savior and we make you our Lord. We will follow you, be obedient to what you tell us to do We will put you first above all else and love others as you call us. And we will fail. Just as we affirm that we want to do that, we will fail, God. And so we thank you and are grateful for the forgiveness that you will give us. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us to transform us and to joining you on mission. Amen. Amen. Thank you.